Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. O'Connor's turn to choose the music again. By now they knew each other's favourites, knew what mood a choice implied. Pure heroine. Nostalgia did nothing for Sorensen. She preferred contemporary music, acid dissonance or, or even tech lyric. But O'Connor and Quan found that heavy going, so she saved it for the headphones alone on her bunk. Tennis court came through the speakers. O'Connor leaned his head to one side. My gran. She was incredible. Yep, amazing. Sorensen tried to put some warmth into her voice. It was interesting the first time O'Connor told her his grandmother was once a famous pop star. After four months, it was difficult to find much else to say. Colonisation used to have a kind of glamour about it. Despite the tedium and difficulty, it was full of romantics. Sorensen thought O'Connor was one of those, wishing he'd been born a generation earlier. In those early years, crowds turned up to launch days, and there'd be talk of sacrifice and new frontiers. These days, the romantics were a much smaller proportion of the annual astronaut intake. The recruitment process tended to weed them out. Sorensen wouldn't trade the higher pay and lower risks that colonists took now for the minor celebrity status of those first few crewed missions. It was a great job for a researcher. Plenty of time for your academic interests and nothing to waste your fat pay packet on until you came home. Home. It was so many years away it was better to forget about it completely. Sorensen looked out the window at the unchanging stars. She knew they were moving fast, but Earth was so far away it felt as if they were at a dead stop. Sorensen went through to the bunk room to wake Quan for his shift. He was already up, looking at his most treasured possession. They'd been allowed one or two unnecessary things from home, talismans to hold in the dark. O'Connor had a battered guitar, and Sorensen two framed photographs that she never looked at. Quan's great treasure had been handed down father to son for generations. A copy of the New York Times, dated July 21st, 1969, so many people had kept them, it wasn't worth anything much, even if it had been in mint condition. His copy had a hole in it, a small rectangle that sliced the word moon in half. The story was that his great-great-grandmother had cut out a coupon for a free introductory volume of a set of encyclopedias that their unnaturally bright second son would devour, earning a scholarship and a life beyond the family's tiny shoe repair shop. Even Quan thought this tale was apocryphal. The newspaper itself, yellowed and crumbling, wasn't what Quan was really looking at. Sorensen understood, but it made her uneasy, the way humans wrap up the hard edges of the world in a thin paper of memory and imagination. Hey there. Yep, 
on my way. They smiled at each other. Despite what space exploration might look like on screen, you want boring crewmates. You need patience and the sort of humour that doesn't pick at your companion's flaws. Sorensen figured she'd been lucky. She hoped Quan and O'Connor felt the same about her. She sometimes wished she was more fun to be around. Of the three, she laughed the least. When O'Connor went through to his bunk, Sorensen thought she saw a frown as he pulled himself out of the pilot's chair. Maybe he'd felt her indifference to his grand's music. She'd have to think of a peace offering, ask him to recommend some books about New Zealand. She wanted to immerse herself in some full-volume shriek funk and sluice off the dust of wistfulness that she felt on her skin. Instead, she queued up something ambient and forgettable. She could listen to the screaming later. And she did understand why the men found her musical tastes unsettling. They'd rather be soothed or energised or reminded of teenage summers. Not many people wanted to stare down the void, especially out here. Quan wasn't much of a talker, but he tried to come up with at least one new topic each shift. So what did your mother's parents do? he asked. They were beekeepers. Wow, cool. Yeah, it was. I saw a wild swarm once when I was a little kid. You could feel the sound in your body somehow. The humming. Do you remember what honey tasted like? Real honey? Amazing. It was different depending on where the bees had been. My favourite was buckwheat honey, like dark butterscotch but better. Sorensen remembered the grief that trailed her grandparents as they watched their hives diminish. After the bees were gone, nanotech pollinators took over. The planet didn't starve. They even figured out ways to synthesise honey. Sorensen knew that synth honey was pretty much the same as the real thing. In a lab, you'd have trouble telling the difference in chemical composition. But it never tasted right to her. As they talked, she felt an urge to spit. I think I tried it once when I was a kid, said Quan, but I don't really remember. Amazing to have seen a swarm of them. Yeah, I was pretty lucky. The photographs she never looked at were pictures taken back in Nova Scotia. Parents and grandparents. And Sorensen. The other Sorensen. It was an odd thing, being the copy riding in the perfectly tuned titanium and silicone facsimile. All the memories were real, identical up to the moment of download. Synth Sorensen could picture the green foliage printed on her childhood bedroom wallpaper, could imagine the joyous scent of fresh basil and tomatoes in the summer. Flesh Sorensen had the same serious demeanour and taste for avant-garde music as her artificial counterpart. Some people didn't cope with the download process, even if they got through the psychological tests. But the Sorensons had laughed when they first looked into each other's faces, both fully conscious of the process, both taken with the absurdity of having a true twin. The pay packet was fat enough to still be generous when it was split in half, the perfect way to live both dreams at once. Most people forgot they were talking to a synth. Unless you'd chosen an altered model for cosmetic reasons, the differences were internal. It was like copying all your apps and data onto a new device. Enhanced processing speeds, better memory capacity, and an optical resolution that was orders of magnitude greater than a human eye. Tougher hardware. But the same programming, same behaviour. 
the features of her face registered precisely the same expressions as flesh Sorensen back on Earth. Their hands traced the same swift gestures. Though with each month in space, Synth Sorensen thought she moved a little further away from Flesh Sorensen's North Star. The needle drifted. Shit! Shit, shit, shit! Quan, look, the window! A crack. A tiny crack in one of the layers of quartz glass. Shit! Oh, okay, okay, it's okay. Okay, we've got parts in the hold. It looks like the outer layer. I'll get O'Connor up. While Quan went through to the bunk room, Sorensen looked at the window. She enhanced focus, started calculating measurements. The crack began at the starboard edge, extended 11.4 millimetres, ran almost straight. Definitely the outer layer. Was it a manufacturing fault? She wondered what else was going to fail. Catastrophic decompression was a far greater risk to her crewmates than herself. As long as she remained inside the hull, a lack of oxygen wouldn't damage her. She couldn't tell whether she felt more relief or sadness. When O'Connor and Quan came back through, their faces were bland, but she could smell their sweat. She moved her head back and forth, assessing the angle of the damage. Through the crack, she saw the tiniest ripple in the unmoved stars. Sorensen hated spacewalks. The sight of the blue dot behind them gave her no pleasure. But it made sense for the crew member who didn't need oxygen to be on the repair team. She had to wear a suit, of course. Radiation was nearly as damaging to synths as to flesh. O'Connor took the helm while she and Quan suited up and went into the airlock. The two of them did the repairs without rushing, carefully, chatting back and forth with O'Connor. When they came back in, the three crewmates hugged each other and Quan laughed and clapped O'Connor on the shoulder. Everything looked good, and they were more than halfway there. After dinner, O'Connor hauled out his old guitar for the first time in a month. Any requests? How about team, said Quan. He played along with a virtual drum kit. Sorensen joined in the choruses. After a few songs, O'Connor put the guitar back in its case. Better get to work. Why don't I take this shift, said Sorensen. You need some sleep. He looked at her, mouth smiling and eyes hard. Not like you, eh? You don't need anything. Not music. Not even air. Sorensen froze. I, I, I didn't mean, hey, hey, said Quan. He's just kidding around. You're just kidding around, right? Sure. Lighten up. After all, it's not like you face death today. The other Sorensen might have felt hurt at this. Buddy, get some sleep. Quan stared O'Connor to the bunk room. O'Connor was meticulous about checking the window they'd fixed. Every time Sorensen came onto the flight deck, he was hunched close to it, Tracing the seal with a finger, moving his head this way and that to scan for flaws. As soon as he saw her or Quan, he casually moved to the next task. He started spending his downtime in the observation bay at the rear of the ship, where you could look at Earth amongst the stars and imagine the points of lights receding. He'd take his guitar, but Sorensen didn't hear him play anything. While one person could survive to the end of a trip, 
you needed two to operate the ship efficiently. For a supply ship, the company always sent teams of three, and this was why. There was always a risk, and they always calculated it. Sorensen would never have picked that O'Connor would be the one to fracture. If you could have seen the crack in O'Connor, he never would have made it through recruitment. He looked solid. It wasn't just because of his jokes and his calloused hands. His friends would tell you that if they had to be lost in the bush with someone, he'd be the guy they'd choose. Maybe it was the broken window. Maybe that was what let the dust in. Maybe it was all the time he spent watching the fading blue dot. Sorensen never figured out what O'Connor had lost. Ten days after the spacewalk, Sorensen was in her bunk. Quan logged that the window repair still appeared sound, copied it to her visual comms. She tapped to acknowledge, then dimmed the screen and settled back. Eyes closed, headphones on, music loud. The cloud of noise expanded in a neural network until she felt the edges of her body dissolving into the dark. Neither of them heard O'Connor go into the airlock. Neither of them heard the click of the external hatch. The abrupt whoosh of depressurisation as he launched himself unshielded into the emptiness. It wasn't until O'Connor's biomonitor alarm sounded that they knew anything was wrong. They hauled his body back on board, of course. It meant three days' delay. But now they had double the oxygen, they could afford it. There were dark blue patches on O'Connor's face, and blood was coming from his ears and nose. They zipped him up in his body bag and laid him gently in the hold. Months later, when they came to land over sea base, Sorensen took a moment to look out the window. The lattice of hexagonal units glinted golden, and she thought of bees. The welcome team already knew about O'Connor, and with silent kindness unloaded his remains. Burying him wasn't the first task after arrival, but they made sure it happened within the week. A few of the other colonists came to help dig. They placed the sealed bag in the hole in the ground as carefully as they could with all their gear on. Sorensen felt a low humming in her ears. She wondered if that long-ago pop star had any other grandkids, or if O'Connor had been the last. Quan placed the ancient newspaper on O'Connor's chest. Golden flakes floated off it, settling slowly in the low gravity. They filled in the hole with shovelfuls of red dust. When they walked away, they didn't look back. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.